So like I've told you in the last several weeks, when Hannah and I were first married, we attended church here at Grace. We lived in a two-bedroom apartment near North Park Mall that now has a dent in the gutter. I enjoyed a nightly weight gain plan that consisted of a root beer float that unfortunately led to me stinking quite a bit as I sweat a lot in my sleep. I also mentioned to you last week that unfortunately, this propensity to sweat, I've passed along to my son Judah. And Judah as well, when you pick him up out of his bed at night or when he wakes up in the morning, I mean, he's drenched in sweat. And it's an unfortunate thing that I've passed along to my son. But there are many things as parents that we pass along to our children. Uh, some are genetic, others might be just certain behaviors that our kids pick up on, that they begin to mimic and imitate as they see us live our lives. And children often mimic or imitate their parents. Some children pick up on their parents' mannerisms or personalities. Some even follow their parents in various professions. And in our passage this morning, as we open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul highlights the fact that we as Christians are children of God. And as his children, we are called to mimic or to imitate him as we walk through life. So I want you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5 and see Paul's command, his challenge to the church in Ephesus to be imitators of God. And he spells out three different ways that the church in Ephesus, the believers there at the church in Ephesus are to imitate or mimic their maker. Number one on your outline, the church in Ephesus is called to mimic their maker by walking in love. Number two, by walking in light. And number three, by walking in wisdom. So again, grab your Bibles and let me read for you beginning in Ephesians chapter five, starting in verse one. Paul says this to the church, the believers there in Ephesus. He writes and says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Notice he reminds them of their position. They are by nature now no longer children of wrath, but they are now children of God. Beloved children. But the main command that the Apostle Paul gives here in verse 1 is he's commanding the church in Ephesus in light of who they are, in light of their position as children of God, he's commanding them now to be imitators of God. The word here, uh, you, it's the word mimic, to be mimickers of God. And this whole idea of mimicking or imitation was a very common idea in the Greco-Roman world, going all the way back to Aristotle. Uh, for Aristotle, one of the way, main forms of education was this idea of mimesis or mimicking and imitating your teacher. Today, we call this discipleship where we find people, we identify people, and we begin to mimic their behavior, to imitate them, to model ourselves after them. And here, the Apostle Paul commands the church in Ephesus to be mimickers of God. As beloved children, to mimic their maker. 
And this is spelled out in three very specific ways when we follow that word walk that we see in our verses this morning. We mimic our maker by walking in love, by walking in light, and by walking in wisdom. The first way we mimic our maker, notice verse 2, is by walking in love. Let me read for you again, verse 1 and verse 2. Therefore, be imitators of God or mimickers of God as beloved children and walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Now, this idea of mimicking our maker or imitating God and this connection to the word walk is, uh, is very much uh, together in Paul's thinking here. I've quoted many times Dr. Harold Honer, and some of you uh, were here when he was still alive and remember him, those of you who don't. This guy was a brilliant scholar, of the, specifically of the book of Ephesians. Next to the Apostle Paul, Dr. Honer probably knows more about Ephesians than anybody else. He might even know more than the Apostle Paul about the book of Ephesians. But he rightly identifies that you could translate this as be imitators of God as beloved children as you walk in love. Paul is connecting these two ideas, in other words. The way we imitate or mimic our maker is first and foremost by walking in love. What kind of love? Notice the standard here in verse 2. The type of love that the Apostle Paul is challenging the church in Ephesus to mimic or to imitate in their life. The type of love, notice verse 2 again, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. The type of love that Paul wants the church in Ephesus to mimic and to live out in their life is the same type of love that Jesus had when he laid his life down for us as an offering, a fragrant aroma, a sacrifice to God. The self-sacrificial love for the benefit of others. Paul says mimic that, imitate that in your life. The same love that Jesus has for us. This is a good time for me to pause right here and, and ask you the very simple question. Those of you in this room, those of you watching online, do you know this love? Have you trusted in the one who laid down his life for you, who offered himself as a fragrant aroma, a sacrifice in your place? If you've not trusted in him, if you've not received that love and the forgiveness that comes through it, I wanna give you that opportunity now right where you're seated to simply trust in him. If you have trusted in him, if you've received this forgiveness and this love, what the Apostle Paul challenges us to here is to live out, to imitate, to mimic this type of love for one another. The challenge, the command is to mimic our maker as we walk in love. Now, what Paul does next, he does this many times in his writings. He commands us to do something, and then he tells us the opposite and what not to do. So after commanding us to 
mimic our maker by walking in love. Now he spells out the opposite of loving one another. And we see that in verses three and four. What's the opposite of this self-sacrificial type of love that we're to mimic in our life? Well, notice verses three and four. But immorality or any impurity or greed, notice, must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. So Paul has just challenged the church in Ephesus to mimic their maker by walking in love towards one another. And here he spells out, by way of a contrast, the opposite of that love. He identifies six sins that I believe were rampant in the culture there in Ephesus. There's three sins of conduct and three sins of speech that the Apostle Paul says don't even let this be named among you. Notice immorality, which is sexual immorality, impurity, which is kind of a catch-all term, greed. Those are three sins of conduct. And then three sins of speech, filthiness, silly talk, and coarse jesting. I thought about this week, Paul, you know, wrote this nearly 2,000 years ago, and these are the six sins that he identifies here. I think if Paul were to rewrite this letter today, he'd probably identify the same sins in our culture today, right? I mean, when you really stop and think about the fact that this was written 2,000 years ago, and yet these are the same sins that we see running rampant even today, I mean, we've not really evolved all that much, right? I mean, we're still struggling with the same stuff that believers in the city of Ephesus were wrestling with 2,000 years ago. And notice Paul says about these sins, this is convicting for me, and I'm sure it is for you, that these sins of conduct and of speech, he says there in verses three and four, these must not even be named among you. Verse four, he says, these are not fitting for the saints. There should be no hint of these sins, in other words, in our life. But rather, we're to see the giving of thanks. The words that come out of our mouth are not to be these filthy, silly talk, coarse jesting, but the words that come out of our mouth are to be the giving of thanks. It's interesting that Paul identifies that. It reminds me in the book of James chapter three, if you'll remember, James is talking about the trouble with the tongue. And he says, with it, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and yet with it we also curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. I'm sure for you, as well as for me, these are very convicting verses to consider. Just how much, even 2,000 years later, we're still struggling. I'm still struggling with these same things. So these are difficult verses to live out. In verse 5, we come to a very difficult verse to interpret. Paul says there in verse 5, For this you know with certainty, or know this for sure, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater 
has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. A couple things to notice here in these verses. First of all, notice the three sins Paul emphasizes here in verse five are the same ones he just mentioned. Immorality, impurity, and greed. He says, this I want you to know with certainty. Make no mistake about it. Let there be no doubt in your mind, in other words, that the immoral person, the impure person, the greedy person who is an idolater, he says, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, like I said, these are very difficult verses to interpret, and there have been a number of ways people have interpreted these. Um, All the way from... If you have these sins in your life, you lose your salvation, which we don't believe that at all here at Grace. Uh, The view that I take, the interpretation I hold to is what Paul is describing here. Remember, he's writing to believers. He's writing to the church in Ephesus. What he's highlighting here is that when we, if we as believers have these types of sins habitually in our life, then we lose out on that inheritance, the reward in the coming kingdom of Christ. But at the end of the day, even if you disagree with my view on that verse, it's clear that these types of sins should not be in our life, right? These are things that we need to lay aside. And notice Paul emphasizes there in verse six, it's because of these things that the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. In other words, these are sins to take very seriously. And again, this is challenging for me. It's, I'm sure, convicting for you as well because when we just stop and consider how rampant these sins are in our life and in our culture, and we realize that it's because of these things that the wrath of God comes, it's not a great place to be in apart from the grace of God. As I think about what the Apostle Paul is saying here, it again all goes back to imitating God, mimicking our maker as we walk in love. As we walk in love. And this type of love, you could say that Paul is highlighting love in our conduct and love in our speech. That how we live and what we say is to mimic our maker not the world. Each and every week, I find some time in the week to take one of my kids out on a date, just some one-on-one time with dad, and I kind of rotate each kid uh, through each week. And this week, it was my son Judah. It was his turn for some one-on-one time with me. And so Hannah told me that um, all day long, he was waiting basically at the door. He couldn't wait for me to come home. He was asking all the time, is dad almost here? He was super excited to go and spend some time with me. And when the time finally came and I came home, we got in the car and we went over and we played some putt-putt golf. And so uh, it was one of the, I think it was the second time he's ever played putt-putt. And so I'm trying to show him how to hold a golf club. And uh, we had a great time together. And at some point I got a hole in one, which isn't a big deal when you're playing putt-putt. But in order to show off my excitement, I got really animated. I, I you know, the putt, the putt went in and I exclaimed out, hey 
And from that time forward, every time Judah hit the ball, whether or not it actually went in the hole, he shouted out, hey <laughs> And it was a great reminder to me that this little boy is constantly looking to me, mimicking my behavior in what I say and what I do. And likewise, what the Apostle Paul is laying out here for you and for me, for the church in Ephesus, is that we're to mimic our maker as we love one another in all that we say and all that we do. We're to mimic our maker as we walk in love. That's number one on your outline. Number two on your outline is we're to mimic our maker as we walk in light, as we walk in light. Again, I just want to read for you as a reminder, verse one that I think carries through this entire passage. Verse one, therefore be imitators or mimickers of God as beloved children now by walking in light. Notice verses seven and eight. Therefore do not be partakers with them For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Notice again what the Apostle Paul does first. Before really telling them what to do, he reminds them of who they are. Their position in Christ, notice he says, you were formerly darkness, but that's not what you are anymore. You are now light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. He says, listen, don't be partakers with them. The them there is describing these sons of darkness, the people still in darkness, but that's not who you are anymore. Now you are children of light, so walk as children of light. How do we mimic our maker? Again, number two on your outline is we mimic our maker by walking as light. But that's kind of abstract, isn't it? Paul says, I want you to walk as light. Well, what in the world does that really mean, to walk as light? Thankfully, Paul tells us. Notice he describes what it is to walk as children of light in verses 9 and 10. He commands them, walk as children of light, verse 8, and then he explains what that means in verses 9 and 10. For the fruit of the light, the produce of the light, what comes out as being walking in the light consists in all goodness, and righteousness, and truth, trying to learn or discern what is pleasing to the Lord. These are great verses here. I think these are very helpful verses for you and me today. By nature of the fact that you are here, if you're a follower of Jesus, I assume you're here because you want to know what is pleasing to the Lord. You want to be found pleasing in his sight. You want to hear at the end of your life the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Paul here commands the church in Ephesus to mimic their maker now by walking as children of light, walking in the light. And he tells them exactly what this looks like. What does it look like to walk in the light? It consists of goodness righteousness and truth. If we want to mimic our maker by walking in the light, then we should have goodness, righteousness, and truth manifest in how we live. There's a real practical note here for you. I think in any situation 
When we feel kind of a dilemma in life and we're not sure which road to take or which direction to turn, I think these three ideas can be very helpful guides as we try to navigate through the life, our life. We can ask ourselves, what is the truly good thing to do in this situation? What is the righteous thing to do in this situation? And what is the truthful thing to do here? And Paul says that as we identify these things, as we walk in the light, which consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth, that helps us to discern or to know what is truly pleasing to the Lord. But the opposite of that, again, Paul likes opposites. The opposite of walking in the light is walking in the darkness. And notice what he says in verses 11 through 13. He says, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is, it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. And all things will become visible when they're exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. Notice the contrast Paul is making here between light and darkness. The deeds of darkness versus the deeds of light. He tells the church in Ephesus, listen, I don't even want you to participate in the deeds of darkness. It's shameful even to speak of the things that are done in secret. But your job as the church, as believers in the world, is to expose those deeds of darkness and everything will eventually become visible by the light. In other words, what I think Paul is really getting at here, a question I think we're all wrestling with as we see our world getting darker and darker. It's what is our role as the church in the midst of a very dark world? How do we counteract? How do we expose the deeds of darkness going on in the world today? It's by living as light. It's by living out the alternative way to live, the true way to live, the good way to live, the righteous way to live as an example for people to see, just like Jesus said, you are the light of the world and you don't hide that light, but it's meant to shine. And eventually people began to notice a difference. Notice he says there in verse 14, he says, for this reason, building on this idea, for this reason it says, here quoting probably some early Christian hymn or song, for this reason it says, awake sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And whatever it is Paul is quoting here, we're not exactly sure what. It's highlighting this idea that as Christians, we're to live out this resurrection life of Jesus in us, that we're to wake up from our slumber and our sleep and live out this resurrection life of Christ. As I was uh, studying these verses this week and Paul's kind of imagery and the tension and the, the contrast he's painting between light and darkness, I came across one scholar who highlighted that for the Apostle Paul, things are either light or dark. It's either light or darkness. There really is no in between. And yet we live in a world of constant compromise, don't we? I'm sure you do. I feel constantly that tension to compromise to try to please both sides. 
And yet what Paul is really laying out here is that when it comes to true righteousness and wickedness or light and darkness, I mean, there really is no compromise. The standard is pretty much set. The question is, are we going to live it or won't we? Again, coming back to the idea of our children and how our uh, children often mimic or imitate our behavior. If you're a parent or grandparent, you've probably had a similar experience to me where uh, your children act out. They do something, they say something inappropriate. And then you have that horrific thought that they learned that from me. (laughs) You know, uh, maybe a word comes out of your kid's mouth or you see some type of behavior, some sort of sin in their life and you think, man, where'd they get that? You wanna blame your spouse, uh, but the reality is they learned that from you. They saw you do it, they heard you say it, and they're simply following in your footsteps. In a similar way here in the book of Ephesians, number two on your outline, a good question to ask is, are we modeling our behavior after the world? Or are we modeling our behavior and mimicking our maker as we walk in the light? Number three on your outline, we see the third way, the the third use of that word walk here in these verses. Paul lays out this principle, this command. He wants the church in Ephesus to mimic their maker, to imitate God. Number three, by walking in wisdom, by walking in wisdom. Notice verses 15 and 16. Paul says, therefore, be careful how you walk. Notice again that word walk. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Here Paul kind of brings it all home and we see that third use of the word walk. Be imitators of God, be mimickers mimickers of your maker as you now walk in wisdom. Notice he says there in verse 15, be careful how you walk. And again, he paints a contrast, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time or redeeming your time because the days are evil. In the first century in Ephesus, the days were evil. Today in Dallas, Texas, the days are evil. And it takes a lot of wisdom to know how to navigate through these difficult days that are ahead of us. So Paul says, I want you to be careful how you walk. Be mindful of how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, because the days are evil. So what does it look like to live wisely in our world? Well, he spells that out in verses 17 and 18. What does it look like to walk in wisdom as we mimic our maker? He says, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation or debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Notice the the parallelism that Paul is making here, the contrast that he's painting. He says, on the one hand, the ways of the world is really to be foolish, and he uses the illustration of getting drunk with wine. And, uh, you know, person who's had too much to drink, that wine begins to have an influence on their behavior. It begins to really control them and influence how they're living. And that's really the, the foolish way of the world, this illustration Paul is using here. On the other hand, he says, don't be foolish, 
But understand what the will of God is, and rather than being, rather than being filled with wine, we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. To live in such a way that we're under the influence not of a substance, but of a someone. That the Spirit influences us in the way we live, in the way we navigate through this dark world. In verses 19 through 21, he spells out and he kind of describes this person who is filled with the Spirit. What does it mean? What does it look like? What is characteristic of a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit? Notice he says, speaking to one another, to one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Second, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. So notice, on the one hand, we have speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's kind of the first characteristic of a person who's filled with the Spirit. The second is one who's speaking to the Lord, making melody with your heart, singing and making melody. The third characteristic we see of a person who's filled with the Spirit is one who is always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. This is the second time that Paul emphasizes the importance of giving thanks. And then the fourth characteristic of a person who is filled by the Spirit is one, verse 21, who is being subject to one another in the fear of or in reverence for Christ. Again, a lot more could be said here. Uh, but simply to say, these are characteristics of a person who's filled by the Spirit, who's living under the influence of the Holy Spirit in his or her life. But the challenge Paul has for the church in Ephesus is to mimic their maker as they walk in wisdom in a very dark world, redeeming the time, making the most of every opportunity for the days are evil. This week, as I thought about this, again, it's obvious, I think, to all of us that we live in a very evil time where good is evil and evil is good. Everything seems to be upside down and rapidly changing and getting worse and worse. And at times, um, I often get overly discouraged by that. At times, I can find myself losing hope, and at times, I'm fearful at the thought of raising now four kids, soon to be four kids, in this culture, this world, and I sometimes think, man, it would have been great if I could have been born, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. But the truth is, I'm reminded, really, of a, of a great line from J.R.R. Tolkien's The Fellowship of the Ring, where at the very beginning, Frodo, having learned the history of the ring and the darkness and the evil and all of that, Frodo says to Gandalf, he says, I wish it need not have happened in my time. I wish it need not have happened in my time. And again, this is an idea probably most of us have had as well. Man, why did I have to be born now? <laughs> but Gandalf, in his wisdom, he says to Frodo, so do I, and so do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. 
I think that's the gist of what the Apostle Paul is saying here that Tolkien really pulls off of. We can't make any choice about when we live or the culture in which we live. But what we can decide to do is what to do with the time God has given to us, to make the most of every opportunity, as Paul says here, to navigate with wisdom through this world in which we live. So as we take a step back and kind of summarize everything the Apostle Paul is saying here in Ephesians chapter five, really this guiding idea, the guiding principle, the main challenge for us is to be imitators of God or mimickers of our maker as we walk in love, as we walk in light, as we walk in wisdom in the midst of this world. One commentator I read this week describes the book of Ephesians as the epistle for today. I think that's a great description. It's a great proof, I think, if you will, of the inspiration of the word of God, that although this document, this book, was written nearly 2,000 years ago, its words are still true, still very relevant for you and me today. As we try to navigate through this world, I think the question we have to ask ourselves is who is influencing us? Who's discipling us? Who are we mimicking in our life, the world or our maker? And there in your worship guide, on your bulletin, I've given you some application questions to consider. But practically speaking, a question I want you to wrestle with and ask yourself is how can you be more intentional about mimicking God, putting on display who God is for the world to see by walking in love, walking in light, and walking in wisdom. And to end, I really wanna remind you of the most important thing here. The only way this is even possible, the only way this this could even remotely possibly be done is because of what Christ has already done for you and who you are in him. What the Apostle Paul is challenging us here is not self-help, it's not pull yourself up by your bootstraps, it's realizing who you are in Christ. You're children of God. And so walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Uh, First of all, for sending your son for taking us out of darkness and bringing us into your marvelous light. And Father, we confess our struggle as we try to live in this world, as we open our eyes and see not the love but the hatred around us. As we open our eyes and see not the light but the darkness surrounding us. As we open our eyes and see not the wisdom but the folly of the world around us. We're desperately aware of our dependence on you. So Father, help us. And at the same time, give us hope to see what lies ahead of us as an opportunity for the love, the light, the wisdom of Christ to have its influence on this broken world. Father, help us to not lose hope. Help us to see this as our mission, as our challenge, as the opportunity before us and empower us by your spirit to mimic our maker, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.